I mean, to push somebody in a wheelchair is not a, uh, a position that's for everybody. It's not like flipping a burger or things like that. All those are all jobs everybody needs, but you have to have some com- kind, some compassion to, to be able to, with working with people with special needs that yeah. need it, that maybe not be able to walk or they have a speech impediment or they have something there. This is a chance for them to learn how to work with people that or uh, that need help with services. Founder of Bach Transportation and Alaska Medical Transport. How are you, buddy? Good, good. Thanks good. for having me. Things are good? Yeah. Yeah. The weather's nice, finally, for finally. a little bit here. 12th day of summer. We'll see when this thing drops, what the weather's going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> we leave in a couple of weeks, so it's okay. Yeah. Where are you guys going? Going back to Nashville. You guys uh, camper? No, 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 no. Using the motorhome? We're going there for a conference. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You just picked up a couple of ambulances, didn't you, from down we did. there? No, wait, Wyoming. Yeah. That, that was, was Wyoming. Yeah. Yeah. States that nobody lives. Yeah. <laughs> biggest, one of the biggest states in the United States. and Nobody, nobody lives, lives there. 500,000 people. It's kind of like Alaska in a little bit. A little bit, right? It's just not so far removed. Yeah. It's in the middle of a bunch of states. Okay. I got some, some questions to start with, yeah. uh, since most, maybe our listeners, we just said, I assume they maybe haven't, uh, don't know who you are. I'm sure. A lot of people are going to listen to this that, that do know you are interested in what you have to say, but just kind of starting from the beginning, you know, the inception of your transportation company and like, wh- how did, how did it all start? You, you know, did you guys, you know, your limo company starting out. So kind of give us a, a background and, and, and how this whole thing came, came about. You know, it's kind of a funny story. Um, we all used to go out and all of us were young business professionals um, and landscaping, lawn maintenance, snow plane company, painting company. Um, my business partner at the time when we started was Brent Sanders and he, uh, his parents own Nova Property Management. And they're part of the Browns family. And so uh, we all used to go out quite a bit and none of us could afford to get in trouble or get DWIs and things like that. So when we get a group of eight or 10 of us, we'd always try to call a limo and time that you paid for the limo and everything like that it was cheaper than taking cabs around town and our group would kind of stay together and you know cost us 30 40 50 bucks a night to go out cars stayed at home everybody got picked up everybody got dropped off this was before uber just to clarify like Way what, what, what we're talking like in the 2000 in 2000 well the 2000 Late we started 90s. the company so in in 98 99 yeah. Prior to pre-cell phone, pre- No, there's Pre-Apple, <laughs> pre-iPhone, I should say. I think, it, didn't we have Apples in? No, no two, two, 2006. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, we, we used to go out quite a bit and friends of us, you know, we're all in 20s and stuff like that. So uh, we made friends with one of the little companies and became a regular and if they didn't have limos going out, we'd call them up and ask them and cut us a good deal and we'd take them out. We'd always take care of the driver and uh, so we'd get them and they sometimes they were a little bit dirty and they weren't so clean and they didn't smell so good, but I mean- we were, we were going out. I mean, that was, yeah. It. So, um, I told Brent, I said, you know, one, one day we could do this better. You know, we, we could, we could really, we knew everybody in the market. We knew everybody in our age brackets back when Hellfighters used to be there. They used to be back in the day, Rum Runners, when Rum Runners one, Rum Runners two. And so, you know, we just thought about it and we thought, Hey, you know, we could do this. Let's get a business plan together. So I worked on it for about six months and came out with a business plan. They were getting ready to have the NLA show, National Limousine Association show in Las Vegas. And I said, I found one of the carriers up there was selling like 40 limos. I said, Brent, this is our chance. So we went up there and got there a couple of days early and uh, uh, going up there and we got there and met JJ Bell, Bell Transportation in Las Vegas, one of the largest transportation companies in the United States. And we get there and there's like 14 left out of 40. And I'm like, oh no. And so he's like, we got four people in the lot looking at them, Charlie, they're going super fast. So 
I go up and I find two and I came back. He's like, they're gone. There's like six left to go. And I'm like, holy toy. So he has these two way radios sitting on his thing. I'm like, I grabbed a radio and Brett was there with another radio. And basically we ran up and he told me what vehicles are there. And there's two Cadillacs and four, four Fords, Lincolns. And I didn't want nothing to do with the Cadillacs. Cadillacs just had a, not a very good look to them at that day. So I found one. I, this one was good. And this one was good. And this one was not good. And so I got kicked out of this one. So I just took the last pretty much the last three they had and picked the two best of them. And he said, well, let's take these two. And he said, all right. So I said, Brett, let me do the talking. We're going to make a deal on these things. You know, we're going to, we were so limited cash back then, you know, we were all out of pocket. You know, yeah. I'm curious where this capital came from and like how much these things cost back in the day. Yeah. So Keep Brent going. was always a smart guy. He always had real estate and he worked for his parents and running over property management. I had a landscaping law maintenance company, so I was independent. So we got into it fairly inexpensive in the day, but a lot of money to us back then. Yeah. So we uh, went down and I thought to JJ, I'm like really looking for a party bus. The party buses are just coming in. And back in the day, there used to be the magic bus here in town. They used to let out their regular bus and it was just had seats in it. So that was the party buses back in the day. So I got this 20 passenger bus that's sitting around. It's got a lot of miles on it, but we can get you a good deal on this. All right. So we go up there and he's like, well, it's 15,000 for this, 20,000 for each one of these. I'm like, so what kind of deal? We're going to be one of your big customers. He's like, I just sold 40 of these in three days, Charlie. Nobody got a deal. I'm like, yeah, but we're just starting out. We really need to help. You know what he was going to say? So he was sitting there. He's like, there's guys outside waiting for these things. I'm like, just cut us 5,000 off this thing. We got to get these things all the way back. You know, we're dead. And finally, he goes, I'll give you 5,000. Never call me again. I was like, no, 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 JJ, we really want to work with you. He knew my aunt and uh, he was really gracious and good. And he let us have him for the $5,000 off. And we got our first two limos in the bus. That was in 99, right in December. Oh, it's right. January, 2000. That's what it was. January, 2000. So we had our first two limos in a bus. So we went and celebrated that night. And the next day we were supposed to be there to pick up the limos. We had no idea how to operate and we had nothing. <laughs> and you didn't have to have a special license or anything. No, it, you know, there were six passenger limos, so we didn't know anything then. So six passengers were just so small that yeah. we realized right away we needed a 10 passenger. Because 10 was the bigger one back in the day. So we went and celebrated that night. Obviously did not make the 8 a.m. wake up call <laughs> to go meet him. JJ was playing golf, pretty pissed off at us that he was taking his golf time to come over and show us and we did a no show on him. So, oh my gosh. We were you were in Vegas though. We were in Vegas. Yeah, had yeah. no business driving that day. Yeah, taking a, taking a cab over there to look at the vehicles and his mechanic that spoke very little English yeah. was trying to explain all the buttons to us. And uh, what, what did was, they do back? What did the limos do back then? Because I know now they're they're super like Bluetooth and like all the lights and the ceiling lasers and stuff. But what did they do back then? Oh, uh, you know they're a little bit more common. They had yeah. they had um, they had LED lights. They had a, a halogen bulb that would light up the lights that would go down the sides. Of the oh, I see. They would have the stereo system, the partition, and they would have a yeah. couple of their the little bar lights, bar lights, yeah. things like that. But you know, we had it was all foreign to us. You know, yeah, we had yeah, no yeah, idea yeah. How to work Never, any of that? Yeah. The partition, the lights, when the bulb goes out, what do we do? And yeah. So he kind of walked us through the whole entire thing. So it was really good. So we owned them, but we had to leave them there because obviously we shouldn't be driving for a couple more hours. So we left them there in the buses, and then we had our friends flying. And helped us drive them back. So cool. that was our first start off the BAC. So we bought our first two limos in a bus and we drove them all the way from Vegas all the way to Anchorage. Oh my gosh, how was that drive? It was a long drive. It was, and it was uh, when the headlights went out. So the lights would flicker on and off. And we were in the middle of Canada. So we'd have headlights and we wouldn't have headlights. Oh, so it'd fall no. in the middle of it. And yeah, then we, none of us had a CDL to drive the bus. So we flew our friend up Lance and he helped us drive the bus up and he had a CDL and the, the bus ticked. We called it Tick Tick. Our bus was called Tick Tick. That was our first one. <laughs> and it always ticked. It had like a sticky lifter or something that was inside of it. But Tick yeah. Tick laughed it for like almost 13 years. Really? People would get it and they say, hey, we're going to make it in here. And, oh, no, it just ticks. It's just a special bus. And, <laughs> it sounds know, like a bomb when oh, it's, it, when it's it driving. Like, 
<laughs> and as you go a little past, you go, tick, 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 you'll get a little louder. Then when you even out, then you go a little lower. And oh, weird. So that was our first startup. You know, in 2000, we started with two limos and a bus. And um, we came back and marketed it and talked to people. And I was the guy who was outside the front of the Thursday night at the fights with Jim Patton and Jerry and those guys hustling my limos. And my dad and his friends at the petroleum club, they'd take them. And we were kind of making a name for ourselves. And, you know, the other limo companies were pretty helpful back in the day. They wouldn't want to take some the trips that they didn't want to take they anymore. would hand them off to you we would get the, the horrible trips that the two o'clock in the morning that <laughs> drunk somebody be out in out. front of safeway and they had orange boxers on and i'm like well i want to know what his boxers he looks his pants are down around his boxers <laughs> and so we're like oh we'll go get him is he paying cash no problem you know yeah just hustling the business this is like that was like the what what would be an uber these days right like people would have probably taken ubers back then but it was like a limo you know I, people just wanted to go out and not have issues or problems and we yeah. really found it out I, I remember one of the first limo trips we took it was uh brent and i were taking the limo together because it was the first limo trip and it was a bachelor you guys are you guys are in front together two seats <laughs> in the front together <laughs> You heard these girls talking in the back and they were talking about girl stuff and things like that. Yeah. And we could hear through it and they wouldn't know. And they'd say something like off the wall and Brent and I would be like, we start laughing. They're like, can you guys hear us up there? We're like, no. And they're like, well, you just answered our question. You know, we're like, oh shit, you know, what do we do? So, um, you know, we just wanted to be part of it and time to learn into it. One of the things that we really learned when we were in Vegas is that none of the other limo companies had their name on the side of the limo. Nobody did. Everybody just had a plain limo. So you never knew who they were. Oh, they weren't even leveraging the marketing of their own. Like, Not logo. even at all. Got but it. when we were there, there was this company called LBL, Las Vegas limousine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they had the reef just like ours and they had mm -hmm. LBL in it. And, uh, Everywhere you went around, there was this LVL card, but then you see all these other limos and nobody would have a name on it. They might have something on the back of a license plate or something like that, personalized plates, but it wasn't there. And I said, Brent, we really need to do that. So when we were thinking of a, a name, he's like, well, what if we become BAC, you know, Brent and Charlie? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, what about CAB? And he's like, you want to be cab limo? And I'm like, no, no, like, no, it doesn't work. Yeah, that's so terrible. We came up with BAC, Brent, Brent and Charlie. So um, that's how we came up with the name. And we post them on the windows. We post them on the doors. And all of a sudden, everybody started seeing our stuff. And so they started recognizing that there were limos. And the other companies thought we were crazy for putting our name on it, you know, taking away the view. It's a beautiful car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't look as classy, maybe. No, but then a year later, they were putting their names on the side of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We were getting all the recognition. Yeah. But they were like Alaska limousine company or they something were. Name like that. Your guys' look, your logo, I see it all the time, obviously, on your cars around town. It's classy. Well, you know, it, it's been traditional. It's yeah. uh, it's been told us we should change it up and make it a little bit more fancy. But I, you know, it's it's nostalgic. It's yeah. it's been there for twenty three years, so we kind of like it. You know, and people recognize it. Yeah, it's it's a brand. We so we're gonna brand it. Where are you at now with the business? Uh, from from two you said two limos and a bus to to start this whole thing off, and now where are you at? Like one hundred twenty eight vehicles now. Holy shit! Yeah, so it, you know, it kind of blew up right after we got the two limos. We recognized that you need a bigger one, so we got a ten, 10 passenger, passenger six or and then. Um, then the SUV limo started coming out. And so then we want to be the first one to get an SUV to make it not a dime on this thing yet. You know, we're just pouring money into this, but we already had income already coming in from other places. So we ran down about the first SUV limo to the state of Alaska. It was a Lincoln Navigator uh, SUV. It was a two, it was a 1999 and we picked it up in 2002. So it was three years old. And uh, my wife now, which was my girlfriend back then, Athena, um, her and I flew to, uh, Queens, New York, and picked it up and drove it all the way back. And it was right after 9-11. So um, it was a year past that time. So we're driving through Queens and she's like, we gotta go see the place we gotta see. I'm like, I, I, I am so nervous driving this thing. It's 36 feet long. It's oh, four in New York drive. City? In New York, yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember the guy asked him, I'm like, just get me out. Cause I can drive anything. I can drive trucks, dumb trucks, things like this. But the wheelbase and the turning base is a little bit different. I did have a CDL then, so I could drive it back. And uh, so uh, 
anyways, she talked me into it. So I took the ride at the last minute. She goes, well, I'm like, how are we going to find this place? And she goes, look for the hole, you know, just basically where there's a hole in the sky is where it's worse. We're going to be. And we came within a block of it and we asked somebody where it was. And wow. We had, I think it was a Polaroid camera with us at the time or something like that. Yeah. I remember we ran over and I think we had a, I think I had a, what was that phone? It was a, um, flip phone i can't remember what kind it was and it, like a razor motorola it wasn't but it was a pebble that's oh, what a pebble. pebble phone and it flipped forward and you can take a picture you know yeah i remember running over there and i was so nervous because i double parked the limo and seeing it's like who's gonna tow it it's so big yeah you can just tow this thing and i'm like i don't care I don't, I, we can't lose this thing and so we ran over and looked at the site took some pictures of all the round sounds and you know it was still a big hole in there and there wasn't anything really they were still excavating out so that was kind of cool. Yeah. So that, that was how we got the first SUV limo. You guys, so you guys kept your day jobs though at that time. 100%. In the very beginning, you were basically just like dumping all the money you made from the limo company back into the limo company. And that's, we're that was your strategy. Yeah, yeah. We hired all of our friends who were drivers. Interesting. You know, everybody we knew that was a part-time driver was somebody how affiliated to us. And yeah. Knew us and stuff like that. We'd call them up at 10 o'clock at night. We got a limo trip for you. All right, man. It was a lot of fun for people, you know? Was, yeah. So no like, employees back then really to speak of. You just had people kind no, of. No, we, we did. We, they were all employees. Yeah, they were all employees. Yeah, we I wouldn't say full time, you know, yeah. it was uh it was the weekend gigs, it was weddings, it was all this stuff. So we had tons of part time people, like eight, ten, twelve people for three or four cars, you know. So we'd always have something going on and yeah. I was always the first resort or the last resort. You always had a suit on the corner, you know, it was always hanging up on the up on the rack there just in case I think you jump into it real quick. Yeah. So you now have how many employees? Geez, I think we're 246 employees right now. 246 employees, 128 cars. 126 cars, 128, yeah. yeah. Holy cows. So, you know, things have changed. I mean, the business got bigger and, you know, we were a retail market at the very beginning. So all of our work came from weddings, proms, bachelorette, charities, all that stuff. And then, you know, we, um, in 2003, 2004, we started getting called for sedans and SUVs and to uh, work the market for people that want to go around. I thought, wow, there's not much of a market. And my competitor was telling me, he's like, oh, there's no money in this, but he had eight of them. And I'm like, well, there's no money. Why do you have these? Oh, I have to have these for these other contracts. So, so this is black, like black cars. Black cars. Yeah. yeah. So he said, uh, town cars were the big thing. Town cars. Yeah. That's, yeah and then that's Cadillacs. Yeah. yeah. Town cars and Cadillacs. Yeah. Those were the things. So um, we ended up buying an SUV. And uh, I'd tell you, one of our first, first celebrity customers we had was Damon Waynes. Oh, okay. And Damon came into uh, the Captain Cook and he was staying here. We had bought an SUV from the government surplus auction and it was a, it was a Tahoe and it was white and it, and we, we tricked it out inside. But the one thing I didn't notice though, that when I bought it, it had roll up windows. It didn't have electric windows, but it had electric locks. <laughs> and uh, I got this thing and I'm like, Oh, I gotta have John from perfectionist put some, put some electric windows in this is gonna be horrible. But he booked it for five days. Him and his kid were up here and uh, I never forget that I was driving around personally because they said they wanted somebody good. And so became friends with this guy right away. Still have his cell phone number, still talk to him once in a great while. And uh, we're driving him out there and he wanted to take some pictures. He was big in the photos and he, he kept hitting the lock button. He goes, Charles, the window doesn't work. And I said, oh, I said, we have a manual window. And he looked at me like I was from the 1940s. And he goes, manual. And he'd look at me and he'd go, and he rolled the window up and down. He goes, why would you have me? I said, what? Well, the snow and ice here really screws at the windows. And so we have to have these manuals. I think that kind of makes sense. But I've been to other states where there's snow and ice too, Charlie, and they have electric <laughs> windows. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, we just didn't want to have any problems with our customers and stuff like that's that. That's so funny. It was funny. It was yeah, so good. that's great. Uh, so that's great transition into my next question, which is basically like, what kind of challenges do you guys and obstacles do you guys face? Um, you know, being here in Alaska, I mean, there's, it's so much different for, and you know, a lot of your um, peers and, and people in the transportation community down South, just like talk a little bit about what, what kind of challenges you guys face or maybe what advantages you have being up here? 
it's a double-edged sword. So yeah. either way, we, we have advantages and we have disadvantages. Um, disadvantages, getting product up here, getting vehicles, shipping them up here, cost of shipping um, to get parts up here. I mean, um, a lot of people never recognize this as a state in the United States. We were, we were Puerto Rico, we were Hawaii, we were somewhere else that wasn't part of the United States. So getting product up here was a little bit difficult. Um, whenever we bought stuff, I think I drove the Alcon 17 or 18 times bringing stuff up here. So we'd pick something up because it was expensive. I mean, back in the day it was AML or now it's AML. It used to be another place, but we'd ship the vehicles and it was four, six, eight grand to bring a vehicle up here, especially in any kind of size. So yeah. And so for people who don't know, the Alcan is the Alaska highway. It's the highway from the States up to Alaska. It's 2,300 miles. Yeah. If you come in through Seattle or if you go to different areas, you come into. And it's pretty it rough. It's yeah. like, especially at points in the Yukon and, and way up North. It's like, Go, turns of dirt, especially back in the day, I bet oh, it was really bad. Dirt. I mean, yeah, yeah. frost heaves, yeah. horrible. Yeah, we we would uh, have to time the gas stations because in the middle of the winter, um, the gas stations weren't open uh, 24 hours a day. So you'd have to plan your gas station. I remember getting to a volunteer fire department and begging them to buy some fuel from them and because we were just out of fuel. We're, uh, we're, we're two miles nothing empty, open. nothing yeah. open. We yeah. couldn't even make it to the next gas station and paying $12 a liter yeah. for, for gasoline at the middle of nowhere and very kind of this man to do that. We were willing to pay for it. I well, mean. they're Canadian. They're always yeah. too nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that was some of the kind of the challenges we had here. And then, you know, um, working with some partnership here, that was a challenge too. Down the lower 48, you have a lot of other vendors that you can work with that are in surrounding communities that you can work with and develop relationships. We didn't have that much here. We had a few different ones here, but nobody really worked in the sandbox too well together. I mean, they were helpful in the very beginning, but then as we started growing, they didn't want to be helpful anymore because we started growing past what they were. So we started getting the contracts and trying to use them. And it was just, um, it was difficult. It was difficult in the very beginning. And there was no one that you can lean your head on to because back when the industry started doing it, there was big boys and there was uh, small guys and we were all small and we didn't have really the education. So that's why we went to the National Limousine Association. That's why we went to classes. That's why we went to peer groups. Yeah, meet the people, learn, yeah. ask questions, learn things, work Figure out what, what didn't work for them so yeah. we don't have to go through the same woes. Sure. Same thing we do for other companies now too. Yeah. That's cool. So it, it did work out. I mean, it worked out very well for us. So that was the 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 bad side. The good side is that we didn't have a lot of competition either. So um, relationship driven up here. I mean, you know how Alaska is completely relationship driven. So taking care of your customers, taking care of your buddies, you know, taking care of all the other people. We had massive salespeople out there for us. I mean, we worked with the hotels and the concierge and those guys were pushing stuff to us. So we were always uh, more willing to help them out, you know, when they had events or kids parties or something like that. Hey, we'll throw you a limo, you know, no big deal. So um, that was really nice because we didn't have a lot of competition where the lower 48, you might have 200 companies in San Francisco and you're competing against that and everybody's working their way to the bottom, you know? Yeah. So I, I think the the pros and cons of that was there. Um, another a con was buying a set of tires, trying to navigate two wheel drive vehicles in the wintertime up here with 10 people in the back, you know, uh, that was a little, a little bit different and ice conditions, um, limos freezing up and can't open the door when people are inside, you know, so you'd have to, sometimes we'd had to go there with a big, huge gallon, five gallons of hot water and pour it on the door because the door frame would freeze, freeze and we yeah. couldn't open it or rip the handles off, you know, so it was, there was some challenges there. So we had to learn to put de-icer in and we had to put de-icers in the locks, you know, just learning the tricks of how our weather would do here. Yeah. And Anchorage is one of the more, you know, warmer climate places versus uh, northern yeah, parts Fairbanks of Alaska. Fairbanks got yeah, a little Island. different beast yeah. to deal with. So, yeah, um, those were those were just our bigger challenges that we had in the very beginning. Yeah, pros and cons. Pros and cons for sure. Um, so now, yeah, with over two hundred employees, you know, you know substantial growth. Uh, 
Like that's, I mean, in, in what? 15, 20, 20 years, 23 yeah, years, now. 23 years, started in 2000. Yeah. Three years. Um, what's, what are some of the, like the things you guys did to, to grow this business? What were some of the, cause you talked about, you know, one of the early things was putting our logo on the door. Like nobody was doing that. Like what, I guess, what are some of the strategies? I guess we have to mention that Alaska's airport's one of the busiest in the world. Is that correct? Like a cargo airport and you guys Third have something to, do with, something to do with that. That, that, that's something that Alaska has that's unique, right? So up here, we couldn't just be one thing. It, we couldn't just be the limo guy and be, go any further past that because there's only so many people renting limos. Yeah, so, I mean, totally. there's only the weekend crowds. There, there was the double musky. The double musky package was probably one of our biggest packages forever that we did for almost 19 years. Yep. We still do it. By four hours to the fifth hour free. You know, you go down to double musky. And, and you can get reserv like reservations. reservations. We worked that out with Bob yeah. and Deanna. They, they were really good about that at double musky. They knew we were always on time. If we weren't, we we're going to call them. So they were very awesome to us. And, 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 uh, facilitating plus we've gotten hundreds of thousands of dollars of people down there that sure. would buy lots of great wine down there because you know they didn't have to worry about drinking and driving so that was a real big plus um and go back to your question i'm sorry one the more airport time. yeah I the airport to, yeah because so. that's kind of where your business has recently kind of exploded i don't i think yeah, yeah. well tourism got really big too so tourism yep. was helpful so uh you know everything happens by chance but one night i was not feeling so good this is before we had a 24-hour dispatch center that we had our employees answering the phone 24 hours a day so brent or i would well brent i think was out of it at that time one of us would take home the phone and the phones would be oh. to us. so we were answering 24 hours a day so we'd get people call us three months in advance for an airport transfer from seward to anchorage for something that was coming up three months in advance and it was 8 a.m their time 4 a.m our time and did so, you guys have a scheduling system at that so, point yeah so yeah, we did we we printed it off because we didn't have you know i mean right now we're averaging anywhere from 250 to 325 trips a day so back then you know, we might have had for the whole month, 35 trips on the schedule. So we just had to print out a schedule and tell us what was taken, what times it was. And you just take home a, a new piece of paper every night, you know, a couple of pieces of paper and you'd be able to look at it and see what's available. And <laughs> it's all know, analog. It, it was totally analog, <laughs> you know, it, with the flip phone again, you know, I mean, we weren't, we were, I don't even think we we're with a, uh, I think we ended up getting, um, what was the phones that had little keypads on before the iPhones? Oh, the Blackberry? The Blackberry. Yeah. That was just revolutional. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, we take the phone home at night. And I remember one night I got a phone call and I wasn't feeling so good. And my phone rang. It was an unusual number. And I was like, Bob Transportation, how can I help you? And she's like, hi, this is World Airways. And I'm like, oh, how can I help you? And she's like, hey, we need some help with some transportation. Are you guys interested in doing crew transportation? We had been pitched quite a few times for crew transportation. I'm like, oh, you know, we're more of a black car service. We do, you know, this kind of stuff. And I know that you guys don't really pay that well and do this. And she goes, you know, we have a government contract. We we think we pay pretty well. And I'm like, well, what's that number look like? You know, she's like, I don't really don't want to tell you, but we need some help with transportation. I'm like, for me to be interested, I have to even know what you guys are considering. And we had this 15, 20 minute conversation and she said, yeah, she's like, you know, we, we right now we're paying $120 transfer. And I mean, we were only getting $95 an hour for our black car back then. I'm like, really? And plus, plus gratuity and fuel surcharge. And so it's right around the same rate. I'm like, how many transfers do you have? And she's like, well, we do like 20 or 30 a week for the inbound and outbound crews. I'm like, oh, I'm totally interested. You know, what can we do? And she goes, you have base access. And I said, no, but I can get base access with a sponsor. She goes, well, we have some trips tonight. Would you like to start? <laughs> and I'm like, well, what happened to your vendor? You know, I'm like, now I'm I'm, I'm scheduled and we're starting doing trips from them. And, and uh, World Airways was one of the longest uh, cargo ones. And they, they were also crew transportation. So what they did is they subbed out to the military and took troops over there and they took their cargo over there too, but they, they would have passenger flights and cargo flights. So we were handling both sides of We were handling the air crews for the cargo and then we were handling all the flight attendants for the other ones. So vans were required, all this other stuff. So I'll never forget uh, just working with those guys. It was the hardest contract ever. I, I was like, 
how is Cruz so tough? Because we don't, wouldn't get a whole lot of notice and then they would change things all the time. And we we're constantly working the same reservation. The flights delayed, whatever Four it or five is. times, yeah. yeah. And so uh, we took them on and um, they started flying in Anchorage and we were trying to get access to Anchorage Airport. And to get on the tarmac there, you had to have at least two people you work for. So we couldn't get that at first. And so uh, some other contracts came up and we had them for about a year and a half, two years. And some people recognized that we're doing crew transportation. And I remember... Uh, going after the Alaska Airlines contract, you know, which was going to be the big one. And I think we've had them since 2004, 2005. What all does that include? That's That was one of the biggest contracts of the airport. It was all the inbound flights, all the outbound flights. So it was all their captains, flight attendants, everybody coming in. And then anybody that was scheduled to come up here to catch it. So if like you had a D flight attendant that came up here to catch another flight tomorrow, we'd pick up that one person, take them to the captain cook. They've always stayed at the captain cook. And, um, and we didn't, we didn't win it. I was like super bummed. I was like, oh, you have to be kidding me. I thought our numbers were good and we didn't win it. So we're still doing world and we're doing some one off, some other ones. And about two months later, I was at the ATI, ATIA, Alaska Tourism Ministry Association. I was at a uh, event in Juneau and I got a phone call from the girl from Alaska Airlines. And uh, I, I kept her phone number in there and I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And she's like, good. And she's like, Charlie, are you still interested in taking on our contract? And I said, well, what's going on? She's like, our other vendor, it just doesn't get the Alaska Airlines way. And they had been doing some other ones and we thought they'd be able to, to get it together, but they didn't. So basically she said, you know, how big is your fleet? What's going on? Can we go up and meet? So they flew up that next week, did a site visit in there and we took them on. And I remember the other vendor had it, came over and brought me a bottle of cider and he says, good luck with this. You know, they are just so tough to work with. And he handed me a bottle of cider and just said, you know, Good luck with it. And I was like, wow, you know, so what am I getting myself into? And so they gave the crews the, our telephone number. Of course, I'm, I'm the one man show still. I'm answering the phone at nighttime. And what you know, year was this? Oh, 2005, I think. Oh, okay. So this is pretty early in the this business. Is four or five years into the business. Yeah. We're just on our second. Would airline. you say this was one of the biggest turning points of the business, this whole thing? You know, it was, it was, it was. I mean, looking as, back. Well, you know, the biggest turning point was taking World Airways on, which was oh, the okay. hardest airline we ever, ever had. I mean, it, in the history of all of our, uh, they primed airlines. you for any other. Yeah. So everything else was easy. If we had to took on Alaska airlines and then took on a world that we we'd have fired them a long time ago. Yeah. It was just, there's no way we we're, but you guys had that. no perspective when you took our zero, world. zero. We had zero perspective of what was going on. So we had no idea. So when we tell Alaska, they had a schedule, they sent it to us. There was fire, very few changes to me that captains or flight attendants might change, but there wasn't this craziness of everything else. So we took them on and, and um, the funny thing is they were so used to the other company not showing up on time or being 20 minutes late or sending a cab to go pick them up that they would uh, they would call. As soon as they hit the ground, they call and they say, is our van there? Because yeah. it was cold and they didn't want to sit out in the cold in the winter. I'm like, I'm, I don't know. Is it not there? You know, because I'm panicking. You know, why, why is yeah. my van driver not there? So we had two-way radios back then. So I was calling him on the two-way radio. I'm like, hey, you know, van two, where are you guys at? And he's like, we're right on here waiting for him, Charlie. I'm like, well, they don't see you. And I, I called the person back. She goes, oh, we're not even off the airplane yet. We just want to make sure the van's there. I'm like, Call me if it's not there. Don't call me if it's there. And she's like, well, they said this is a 24-hour dispatch line. I'm like, well, it is, but it really isn't, you know, <laughs> and if it's not there. So it, it took about three months for the regulars to come up here to realize that we were always there. We were always on time. We were always taking it. And one of the things for our success for that was we would listen to the crew and to the airline uh, flight attendants and the captains. And, you know, they don't get a whole lot of time off. They're, they're, the time they land, the time they back up in the air is usually eight to 10 hours. They have the mandatory give them eight hours off. But if we're 20 or 30 minutes late, now all of a sudden they sucked into that eight hours. So they, they of course, they got to detune, get off and go to bed and then re-rake up, get their self made up again. And, 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 you it's know, a big deal. food. Yeah. So for time for them was like worth gold. So 
we really realized that. So we were always trying to be on time, be there five minutes earlier from the flight. And then we tweaked those times and, you know, they felt much more comfortable. So I didn't get many phone calls at all. What would you say, uh, how, like, how does that work with those contracts? How did you know, like, it, you know, it, it was such a big deal. Like come going like three years into the business, you're, you know, you get this world air thing and, and then Alaska air now, like, how did you, I guess on the sales side, like how did you sell them on yourselves when you really didn't know what you were doing technically at that point, right? Well, there was like four of us doing it there. There was airline support services. There was uh, Last Splendor was the other gentleman that had the contract before us. And then there was um, Pegasus and then Swissport. There was five of us doing it. And um, a lot of the other air crews really never wanted to do it, but they did it because they got the maintenance on the plane or they got something else. It was a lost leader. For them. Oh, I see. They had so, other auxiliary businesses that they were making money on mechanics. Or yeah. Whatever. You take Swiss Port or Pegasus, both great companies. Got we're it. partners with both of them. We, we work with both those guys. Um, they would take on the crew, which they didn't really want to do the crew because they had FM bands and all this stuff. But the other guy might be um, uh, changing out the food inside there. They might be the food person that was doing it. So then he switched over and gets a van or it might be the yeah. person that was changing the toilet. You yeah. know, so you had the you had the lavatory people that were doing it. And then the guy would have blue hands and they jump in the van and don't take him over to the oh to the airport. So it wasn't somebody that was always set to do those things. Yeah, they that's why it was it so willy nilly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's why when we took it over, we had clean vans, we had clean vehicles. You know, we, we started with the first ones doing the sprinters and the vans. And so it was more of a timing thing and yeah. the fact that you guys were actually niching down into this category and not trying to do it as a side business. Yeah. So it, it was, we were saying, hey, we're focused on you guys. Timeliness, driving, all this stuff is what our focus is. We don't land planes. We don't, we don't, we don't tug them. We don't, we don't supply your food. We, we concentrate on your transportation. That's what we're yeah. going to do. So that's kind of how you sold them on this. Yeah. Was it sort of like, we're going to be here for you guys when you need us timely. Like, this is what we do. And one of the niches about being in Alaska, again, is there wasn't a whole lot of people that were into that business. You go down to the lower 48, there might be 20 companies that do that, you know? So they were, um, they were more apt to work with us and do it. And, you know, just like them and anybody else, once you have a good contractor, you don't want to lose it. And as long as it, the prices don't get out of line or things like that, they don't want to go reinvent the wheel if it's already there. So that's why you hold these contractors. We've been Alaska since 2005. So, you know, 18 years we've had Alaska Airlines contracts. So they don't put it back up for rebid unless there's something that's just grossly wrong or we have tickets that are un unruly. Tickets are a problem if you don't show up in time or something happens that they put in there and we have to request and for information why we weren't there. Was that contract just originally just crew transportation? Or did it include lost baggage, no. the wheelchair? Talk a little bit about the auxiliary stuff and how that came about. So, you know, taking them on for quite some time, uh, the uh, the crew transportation, um, we would uh, go in and meet with some of the managers and talk about what's going on. We fleet with the flight cars, the, the managers for the uh, captains and stuff like that. If we ever had a problem, then we worked with them more. And, then the station managers, you know, we were always, they were calling us if lights were there or have to go pick up people. And so um, they were telling us about some other problems that they were having some other contracts. And we asked if we were ever interested in taking anything else on with them and doing some other stuff. And of course, you know, we listen for business opportunities and we listen to them. What's that mean? What does that look like? And yeah, I remember, um, <clears throat> I think the first one that came up was, uh, I'm not sure if it was bags first. No, it, it, it was bags first. Yeah. The baggage delivery. And they have these bags that need to be delivered and they were having some problems with their current vendor and they need some help with the baggage claim. And so we said, well, what's that look like? How does that do it? And so we set up some times and did a little bit more organization into it. And Athena, my wife, of course, she was, you know, instrumental in organization on that side. And uh, we set up pickup times to do it and started setting up vehicles to drove their bags. And we were delivering bags with the Denali up to Valdez, up to Glen Allen, down to Seward, down to Homer. I'm like, holy smoly, we need more vehicles. You know, they, well, we, we do four bag pulls a day and you could have 
two bags, one bag, zero bags, or 25 bags, or 72 BDOs. You know, you take 12 bags of one person's house, so you load the whole entire van up. You're like, oh man, this is a lot of work, you know, but it was good. You know, it was uh, getting us out, it got our name out. And so we did really good with that for four or five years. And then, um, and then the uh, wheelchair contract came up and uh, they were having some, they were having, looking for a new vendor for the wheelchair contract. And we talked to them and asked them what that meant and what it looked like. And we kind of went over the numbers and went over that. And so we put in for the wheelchair contract. So the one vendor became our biggest vendor. Alaska Airlines was our biggest vendor um, that we worked for. I mean, they, we did their crew transportation, we did their, their uh, baggage claim delivery. And then we did their, what we call, uh, we have ambassadors to take care of their wheelchair accessibility. Yeah. Their ADA contract. So, yeah. So that was uh, another 50 employees that we put out. So it's that getting 40 wheelchairs. I mean, wheelchairs are a thousand bucks a piece. We had no idea about this business, but we did a lot of research onto it. We had to come up with proposals. We had to come up with our action plan, um, take care of all that with the uh, airport and had to meet all the ADA compliances. And so it was, uh, it was, it was a lot of work. Now, Take it, we already did wheelchair contract for uh, Providence Regional NMC. Oh, we, you had already had that experience. We have already been to doing point two. Yeah, so it was a little bit different picking them up in a wheelchair and actually taking them there. People that couldn't walk or need accessibility to go to appointments and things like that. So we already had a little bit of experience in this. This was just running within the airport. There was no vehicles that we had to put them into. We yeah, it was point to point. You know, got it. That's that's crazy. That, that sounds just like a huge turning point for your business. Getting that Alaska Airlines contract. Looking back now, seeing what that business is. Are they still your guys' biggest? You know, now? they're one of our top five. Yeah. They're one of our top fives. There are some other accounts that have come up that are that are higher revenue, yeah. grossing ones that are inside there now, but they're one of our top five clients. Would I mean, you say that was one of the biggest turning points for your business, bringing on Alaska Airlines? Or did, oh, yeah. I mean, in it, terms of credibility, too, for you guys, I mean, to, to take a national, you know, a huge airline on like that, that, that everybody knows. Yeah. You know, I mean, for especially locally, I mean, that yeah. was our biggest, that's our airline. You yeah. know, I mean, that was, uh, you know, Delta United, all those other guys are here American, but they weren't near the force that Alaska airline was. Yeah. So even we've been approached by other uh, vendors to go take care of uh, their wheelchair accessibility, but eight, Alaska airlines is 80% of it. And I, I was going to give up 80 to go pick up 20, you know, that was, uh, if you, you start splitting your cruise up, you know, then all of a sudden yeah. you lose 80% for 20% didn't make any sense. So some, some early challenges that you may be faced, I don't know, um, you know, you've shared some things with me personally, but it just, you know, any kind of uh, hurdles or things that you kind of ran into that were, you know, that were, that, that kind of felt like, oh shit, is this going to end or is, is, is this going to end our business or is this, you know, are we going down? Is the ship going down? Like, was there any situations along the way where you just kind of were like, Hey, this is might not work or got in, you got yourself in a, in a, in a bad, uh, a bad way. You know, I, I can tell you the one thing that was probably the toughest thing was your 941s and your taxes. I mean, that was, uh, you know, um, one of the biggest failures for companies is your 941s is uh, paying your taxes on there. So, you know, they do it quarterly or you do it, you know, bi-monthly, whatever else it was. And, you know, you always have something that would come up and you kick that down the side and all of a sudden you had a 20% interest on top of it. Then all of a sudden you had the fines and the penalties. And so we got a little bit of a, a tax problem issues that came into it. And it was a little bit of a tough hurdle to jump over to. And I always tell companies that one of the biggest things you can do is like, um, if you had to pay the IRS, you had to buy medication for your kid, pay the IRS before the medication. <laughs> You know, you can always pay the IRS off and then take a loan to go and buy the medication. Because I'm in this situation, I'm, yeah. I'm filling out these, they're doing audits on my 941s for my business. And I'm like, this, you know, this is the first business I've ever owned. So sure. it's a little scary because I'm like, did I, did I pay enough? Is my payroll taxes on where it's supposed to be? I don't know. So these are all things that you learn. So you had the same, same oh, kind yeah. of epiphany. Yeah, like we got I, 
just pay these guys, pay them too much. Went on the payment can. program with them, yeah. end up paying way over. I mean, if we owed, say, if we owed a hundred thousand dollars, we paid them two hundred twenty thousand back. Um, their interest rates. Uh, they always made a joke and talked to us about it. Said, "Hey, if you have to go borrow money from us, or you can go borrow it from Guido down the street, it might break your arm. Guido's a better person to buy from. <laughs> he 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 will just break your arm. He just won't take you to jail, or he won't take your business away. Oh my god! So it was um that was one of the hurdles. You know, employees are a hurdle. Um, you know, um, working with everybody's schedule. I mean, being new into businesses and running them and running." Uh, cars and vehicles and crashes and, you know, drug policies and all the different things you had to run into uh, when you became a CDL vehicle. Now, all of a sudden, you know, all your drivers had to be in a random drug testing program. The city had a random drug testing program. Um, how did uh, the partner that you had originally, how did that uh, kind of go away? Can you talk a little bit about like the transition from him, uh, the ownership and, and how that worked in getting him? getting him sort of bought out or whatever it looked like. Yeah. So Brent was really great. You know, I think this is more my dream than it was his. Um, Brent was awesome about it. Um, we went in together and um, in our first four or five years, we didn't make a whole lot of money. You know, we, we basically just stuck the money back into it. We were the first ones to bring the H2 Hummer limo up here. That was three years after we bought our first limos. Um, that took off like a rocket. Um, we were, uh, we did a, sh a show with Bob and Mark on the way coming up here. We were having them talk about our limo all the way up. Um, so it was really good. Um, Brent, changed some things in his life that were going on in his life. He had, uh, he had recently got engaged and, and was getting married. And, uh, we, you know, my girlfriend, myself, which is now my wife, Athena, um, <clears throat> we were gung ho. We were a little bit more there. He didn't, uh, it wasn't his forte. Brent's great in real estate. He's great in property management and stuff like this. So he gave me a great opportunity to buy him out. And basically it was just buying out what we owned in the stock, splitting everything just in half. So um, he made a great deal at that time. He let me pay it off in a year and a half. And uh, so we were able to split ways that way and be able to take it. So it was a, it was a great thing for us. I, I'm um, very, very thankful that he did that. Yeah, that's cool. Cause you, you hear so many horror stories about ownerships breaking up and then having it be this horrible term, turmoil where it, where it breaks the company. So sure. It's good to hear a, a good story like that. Um, talk a little bit about, I know you guys have a strong company culture. Um, uh, if you can talk a little bit about like how that uh, company culture plays out in your business and and what it looks like and what your guys' values are, sort of how do you how do you maintain a level of service that you do and 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 what what does that look like to to do that? I think it's our team. Our team is the ones that are really good into putting that together. Um, again, I can't give enough uh, accolades to Athena. I mean, she's the one that came up with the company culture and. You know, I'm, I'm more the let's go, let's go, we can take this on, we can do this stuff. And, you know, and yeah, it's funny if you don't create a company culture, a company culture exists either way and it oh, could yeah. be bad and it could be good. I can turn left or I can turn right. And especially with all the growth you guys have had, like can, to maintain that is, is, is an amazing feat. And, and I know she's done some things to, to really um, push that forward and make sure that people know uh, how we treat people, how, what kind of service you guys give. So um yeah it, it wasn't always there i, I can yeah. tell you in the very beginning years it was like you know it was there had been shout fest between shivers and stuff like this but yeah when she came on um she really wanted to bring a company culture like i said you know your culture will it, it will start itself it'll be a good one or it'll be a bad one yeah. you know and so you have the you choice to steer that boat yeah. yeah and so we steered it the right way and you know basically just treating the employees good you know trying to take care of them trying to do things you know um trying to listen to what their needs are um you know, we found out money wasn't the most important thing. They wanted to have a say at the, at the game, what was going on, um, driving newer vehicles, making sure the vehicles were maintained, you know, um, 
making sure that they had time off for family. I mean, we could work somebody to 80 hours all the time, 80 hours is the maximum hours we can make somebody work, but we can work that out all day long because we have so much work, but then we had to learn how to say no to people. We had to learn to know that they had to have a life too on top of that. You know, it wasn't all about the old money dollar all the time. It was yeah. about having a stable life for them and make sure that they can go home and see their wife and kids and stuff like that too. So, but they also wanted to say in like what was going on. Some, some employees want a, a, a a sort of a, a you know to say like hey we want to have nicer cars or we we want to have a certain you know benefits and or or you know whatever it is it's it, you got to give that to them a little bit right well you know that was a really tough thing to do is you know when we got over 50 employees we had to provide health insurance i mean health insurance was no joke at then and so you had to pay a certain percentage so it was a really of a leap for us at that time because we were starting to do fairly well then all of a sudden you bring that up and you have 75 80 employees and you're putting out you know so much money for everyone but we saw the benefit in it we saw how people reacted when they had health benefits and maybe more long-term than we were a part-time job. So then we saw that. So we implemented a 401k now. So we have a 401k and, and so now we have paid time off. So the, all these things came in a line. Mm -hmm. It's almost impossible to do it all at one time. It, it takes time and you have to have steps and ball to it because 401k is forever. You know, I mean, that's a, as long as we own it or if somebody was ever to buy us out or something like that, that would have to all transfer over. So yeah. Huge plans to figure out which one to pay for. How's that pay? What 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 plans do we do for insurance? Are people looking for major medical or are they looking for everything? You know, yeah. what does that cost? How much is that going to cost our employee plus what we're going to put into it? So, so taking care of employees is a big part of your guys' culture. Well, taking care of your people. In 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 realizing that we want to keep and have longevity people, yeah. that's where you have to long be. Long term. Long term. Yeah. yeah. If you if you look for the short game, you can find people all day long. Yeah. If you're looking for long game, you can't. I mean, we have some employees that have been with us 10, 12 years now and 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 they've been with us since they seen all the changes that we've come into to renting buildings to being in bigger buildings to now owning our own building to doing the remodels in our building giving a nice place to stay bathrooms bidets we have we have bidets in our bathrooms for our employees you know i we love a, those things we have, by a, way. we have a we have a we have a, we have a slogan a, a clean ass matters you know <laughs> so um it, it, we just want people to know that they're cared about and uh giving them a good place to heat their food up and drink and and have their food set up for refrigerators i mean just yeah a, a nice culture for them to work in. Well, we haven't really talked about uh, Alaska Medical Transport, which is a business you started, I think it was over COVID or like around that time, 2019, maybe? Yeah. So Alaska Medical Transport was a division of BAC. So BAC used to do the wheelchairs version of it. And then we kind of switched it out in like 2016 or 17. Uh, we did the wheelchair side of it. So there was just wheelchairs with BAC in it. And maybe we can back up a little bit because I want to hear a little bit about your uh, background in firefighting and uh, in the medical um industry so love ems and fire i yeah. mean big component of ems fire i joined the cordova fire department at a very early in age um when i was in there um i was explorer for the sheriff's department in california i, I like law enforcement ems all that stuff so uh was on the north star volunteer fire department was on the valdez fire department um, this is all before you started your business or during uh, the Bach times, you know, the uh, Cordova Valdez, all that stuff was pre pre BAC, pre any of that stuff. Um, so was North Star volunteer firefighter, yeah. live in volunteer firefighter there, EMT. Um, so this is kind of close to your heart. Yeah, I, I, I like the EMS fire world. It's really, uh, it's a calling, you know, it's a, it's a real, it's a, you have to, you have to have that bug. I mean, it's just not something that's like a job. You, you really care about it. So, um, yeah, so we got into it. I he was a, a safety officer for Gerwood Fire Department. Um, I was lucky enough to be picked to, in 2005. I went through the Anchorage Fire Department Academy, and I spent three and a half months of my life with all the 2005 class. Uh, there was another person that was a captain, Pat. He went through it with us uh, with uh, with Gerwood also. 
and they allowed us a couple spots to go through there. And we had to go through the same exact training as AFD did. And we went through every single thing that they did, all their training, all their other stuff there. So um, we started it in September and ended in December. So we graduated their class and got our badges and did our hats. We already were already members of our department already. So but our chief came out there and made a big thing of it. So that was a, that was a real fun thing. So uh, enjoyed that. So um, it's always been a passion of mine that we had kids and things happened and we took time off it. My wife was on the department too. So she was an EMT and she was also a BLS instructor. And then she was a firefighter. And okay. Where to be on a fire with your, with your wife? With I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, so she would be Athena. She, yeah, yeah, Athena. So she was an EMT. She was getting her EMT two at the time, and uh, she became pregnant. And then she was teaching classes, and all the way up until like her eighth month in pregnancy, she left the department at that time. But yeah, she was on it. We worked a couple of structure fires together, and cool. Fun. Yeah. And so now you, uh, you you guys just started. You you, you were already you had the contracts for these wheelchair yep transportation, uh, and then uh, at what point did you decide to like buy some ambulances and just get into it. Like, how did that come about? So, so our town really only had one vendor at the time. Um, and it used to be Transcare back in the day. And then they turned into LifeMed. And LifeMed was the biggest uh, vendor here. And Still a big player. A huge player. I mean, LifeMed, Guardian, we have some really great ambulance companies here in town that do air medevac too. And so um, some of our hospitals are seeing that it was just really tough to get ambulances sometimes and they didn't need them for medical care they needed it more for just doing patient transport they were bed bound they didn't really need medical so we said well if we picked up a couple you know we have ems experience what would this look like if we did non-emergency ambulance services oh we give you patients all day to go to appointments they don't need to be on o2 they already have a monitor they already have a person that goes with them an escort and you can get in that side so we said okay so then I started looking at ambulance. Of course, you know, I, I don't do anything just a little, I, I bought one ambulance. I found another company was selling three more. So I bought four ambulances within a 20, like a, like a, uh, with 28 days, I think we bought four ambulances and here we are. Here we go. Alaska. Yeah. Another venture. And Athena was on board and she was there. And so, I mean, she was teaching at a conference for um, limo anywhere. She was teaching about limo anywhere uh, at one of our NLA shows. And I said, I bought the first one in Oklahoma and I drove it to Texas where she was, and we were going to drive it back. And I found three more in, um, Oh, Billings, Montana. And I bought those online and I'm like, oh, I won this. I won, I won all three of them. Oh no. And so how are we going to get all these back? So we drove from there, Texas, all the way up to Billings, picked up another ambulance, drove it over to Seattle, flew back to Billings, picked up the other two and drove them back to Seattle too. And we got Holy our first God. four ambulances. Um, that happened right at, uh, right before COVID. And that was in September, October, we got them. And then we got them back here and we got them all painted up and wrapped up, made them look beautiful, non-emergency ambulances. They still had all the emergency lights on them, but we didn't act as that. We had some EMTs that worked for us, but we didn't uh, run under a medical thing. So we just did everything non-emergency. COVID happened and we got busy. I mean, we got busy real quick. Our cabs were separately um, separated by the cabin. And we had a little window there. So we made partitions in between the windows. So we were able to take care of patients. And then we got the same poppers that AFD did. And we got all these different things. And we started becoming the COVID people. And then oh all the gosh. airlines were using us. And we were sometimes doing 20, 25 transfers a day. What timing, huh? I, I mean, perfect timing. you know, this is one of the industries that was, you know, flooded with business uh, when when COVID happened versus other businesses that were shut down. Now we need transportation. We need to transport these people. You're the guy to do it. Well, so once we felt more comfortable what we we're doing and what was going on with COVID, um, we got the proper gear, the proper PPE for all of our 
our mechs, we started getting the BEC guys on board and we started teaching them how to do it. So we were doing motor coaches full of COVID people. We were doing the, there was a, um, a trolley that came in that couldn't find a home and everybody on board the, the trolley ship, even the EMT that was on board were all sick with COVID. On the ferry? Um, no, it wasn't a ferry. It was a trolley. It was a fishing trolley. A trawler. Yeah. And they were trying to find a port to do and Nobody would let them in the port. I mean, because they no, all had, co- they all had, co- had no, COVID. Yeah. No, no town could handle that. Yeah. Like, and, and they ended up coming in sewer and sewer was really good. And they let them park at the dock. And I remember having two motor coaches there and I was in a full. Well, yeah. That's when you're for, Full, I was in a full it was like a, a space suit. suit. Oh, I, like, I remember seeing the pictures of it. The sperm suits, yeah. And I was in there. I was taped up, and he was taped up. Oh, that was hilarious. We had the papper on, and I, I mean, I am cooking in this thing. It's, I, I'm in this. I'm <laughs> this hot. is in the middle of summer. Middle yeah. of summer. These guys are getting off of shorts and tanks. I'm yeah. like, you guys need to put some more. We got the AC down to 64 degrees. You guys don't want me overheating over the pass. You know, we're going to come over this pass. I don't want to pass out because I'm so hot. Yeah. So I turned that papper on full blast, and I had not worn the papper in a three hour period. You know, three and a half hour period. So the, the cab was so cold that the air was coming into my papper cold and my face was blue. I was freezing. <laughs> I was, I was so cold. You probably so, look like a crazy oh, person. I was so cold, but I was breathing this cold air. And I remember in the back, everybody was freezing back there. Cause I had like 65 degrees back there. So they were all like bundled up. And I remember turning my heat up a little bit in the front cab and turn the heat up and turn the heat up. And this guy up front looks at me and he runs up front and he goes, you have heat up here, but we were, we're in ice backs back here. Will you turn the heat up? I'm like, yeah, let me turn it up a little bit for you. And they were also freezing. Cause I was, I was worried. I was, was going to get too warm, you know, um, wearing that thing plus that suit. And, uh, yeah, so we ended up starting doing transportation for all the different airlines, all the oil companies. We were at every flight that came in, all the COVID people. transportation, COVID transfers. We had a good train. We had taking them to hotel, like the places where they would just quarantine. Yes. Yeah. So we're really lucky. Um, we were able to ride that train for about a year and a half, two years. And that really, uh, when a lot that of catapulted were, you guys a little bit, it did as it a business yeah. and, and during a the new COVID business. times and, and, and the COVID times, BAC and Alaska medical transport did very well. And we were authorized to go places where people couldn't, we were, we were called by the city. We were called by the state. We were called by the airlines and by the oil companies. We were, we were getting a lot of work with that. And, um, you know, it was a risk for us. You know, we really had to talk to our employees and really do that. We had to bump up their wa- wages and we had to take some times, but, and that time we were still hiring when everybody else was laying people off and they didn't yeah. have jobs. So they were so thankful that we were, and we were one of those companies that were surviving. And it was really, uh, Athena and I going through and just really looking at the saying, what do we have here? Talking to the doctors, talking to other people and saying, what do we really deal with? If we have proper precautions, are we going to be good? So business before COVID. So from the beginning of your starting Bach to COVID and then COVID after wh- where was the biggest growth? Would you say? Where, where our biggest push was? Yeah, like where, like it, yeah, it, I, it seems like that COVID uh, catapulted you guys into another level of business uh, to some extent. You guys went from uh, how many employees did you have? Like in 2020, it was like maybe 110. I think we were 150, 120. Yeah. And then when it really got busy again, we couldn't get any past 129 because nobody wanted to work. Yeah. They, nobody free, wanted to work. Free yeah. money from the government. So nobody really wanted to work. So and now you have two, 220 plus and, employees. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, crew transportation is huge for us. So we're not a, um, we used to be a hundred percent, uh, it was, um, retail business. you know, that was our, yeah, we started it was all the limo buses and the parties and and night work and weekend work. Now we're 85% all corporate. I mean, everything we do is mostly corporate. We, we chase having a corporate, we still do all of the, um, 
we do the transfers for tourism. We do the cruise ships. We do all that stuff. We do motor coaches for them. But a lot of our business is corporate work. I mean, corporate is easier. Usually it's, um, you know, your client you're always dealing with. You know who the people are. They call up. They they want this. You know how to work with them. It, it's relationship driven. Um, our retail business could be one guy. It's a one-off that comes up here from Australia. And he's up here and he takes a six-hour trip from you. It's your one-time client. Great client still. Yeah. But our book of business mostly is is corporate. That's yeah. That's so the airline, crazy. you know, we maintain um, probably ninety two percent of all the airlines at the airport and all the airport work that comes up there for all the crew transportation. There, there's only a few that we don't have, and um, and, and the, that that gets narrower and narrower. You know, so the, the, there's not a lot of people who want to do that work and don't have it down pat. We have forty seven vans to, dedicated to crew transportation. You know, we have a software system. We have the all the GPSs on the vehicles. I mean, we know. Yeah, I was going to ask you a little bit about your you guys' tech stack and like what you guys use. Obviously, we talked about the analog ages without cell phones and without these the software that exists now for scheduling and and the the calls and you know. So, just talk a little bit about the technology you guys leverage uh, for transportation right now and and how that's changed your business. You know. We are technology driven. We really are. We're lucky we have a son that's in technology. My wife is in technology. We go to technology groups. We brought to a group called 2020 group. It's called spinning wheels. Um, we always learn this from our other vendors. And so, um, I remember when we started getting our first four wheel drive, they were quickly bands and they used to be old, uh, prisoner transport bands, but we took all the bars out the windows and they were great quickly bands. We get them with under hundred thousand miles. What are you calling it? A Quickly van was like the first four-wheel drive vans. Quickly was a company that would take a conversion van, like a Ford or a Chevy van, and they put the four-wheel drive into it. They do it. They jack it up a little bit, and they it, they still use them in this time now. They're they're made by Quickly. Is this supposed to be like a like what was Sprinter before Sprinter vans existed? Like well, customization and things like that exist? No, it, basically all they did was change out the hardware down below. So you'd make a two-wheel drive into a four-wheel drive van, and it was a Quigley conversion. And you have that old shifters like the K515 Blazers. You'd have that shifter right down there on the bottom, and you'd be able to have four-wheel drive. I mean, they were huge. And I remember buying small little mini laptops with Wi-Fi cards. And we, our drivers would have that and they could look at the trips that were coming up in there. And because we switched over to a new limo system, um, we used to have this thing called Limo Wiz. It was such a low system, but it was all we knew at the time. Then Limo Anywhere came out and we're one of their biggest users. We're one of the biggest users. I think it's on the board of directors for Limo, uh, limo Anywhere. And this is software that helps you guys schedule trips. all of our trips. It pays our pay. It pays all the trips that we do. And it, it has all the info that we need to, to maintain trips and, and, uh, it takes all of our payments, everything for it. So it's a really great thing. So then we used to carry two-way radios and, you know, the radios would go dead and bad. And we used to have the tablets and then we switched to iPads. And then the iPads were had integrated radios with uh, with Zello. And then we'd use a Zello program. And now it's all integrated. So we, I can be in Thailand talking to my trip, my guys here in town on two-way radios back and forth from Thailand because it's all internet-based. And then we had the auto starts and then we had the drones put in from perfections from John. And, you know, he would have all these things and put them inside there. So if one, somebody locked their stuff out on the tarmac because a, a pilot actually hit the lock button, we're parked in front of a 747 out there. Okay? Bringing spare keys out there is 25 minutes, you know, our, our, our dispatcher would be able to get online, open that car from a, a touch from a keypad, you know, it's just open the door up unlock it and, and do that stuff. So we always were technology driven. We still are to this day. We, we, we get new systems all the time that are in there for timekeepers, payroll, all the stuff we make. And, you know, we get into a nice system for two or three years and something better comes out and, and it, now it's going to take six systems and put it into one system, but we're going to be able to do all six of it. So now we kind of switch that thing. So we're always switching things. Yeah. You guys are always on the cutting edge. I can definitely, um, 
uh, attest to that for sure. And I am not a techie guy. So yeah. it's like everybody's having to come and reprogram my computer, my phones and all this. Yeah. But the thing about you, Charlie, is you're open to it. And I think that's what makes you different and, and being open to things, uh, you know, expose you to things you wouldn't be exposed to normally and uh, putting people on your team too, that are uh, into these things is tremendous for you. So that's, that's been a huge uh, part of your guys' growth. I think the technology side. I love the younger generation because they're so good at that. I remember back in the day, my dad couldn't hook up the VCR or the DVD player. And he's like, son, would you hook you this up? You had to do it for him. You know, red, green, blue, you know, you yeah. just put those things. It was so, so easy. easy. <laughs> now I feel that's like how people, dad, yeah, that's yeah. how people see it. Now. Dad, young yeah. people are like, oh yeah, that, I can do that. That's easy. Well, two seconds. My daughter, okay. I remember my uncle came over and visited. My daughter's like, you don't want to do this. And she's nine years old and takes his iPhone and puts it there. He's yeah. like, I just got schooled by a nine year old. You know, but that's, that's, <laughs> that's it. That's where that that's, yeah. yeah, this is the age we're living. Now we have AI and AI. all this machine learning stuff that's oh. going to change the world forever. And uh, I think people just don't know how it's going to affect, but I certainly think, you know, some, some effects will come on the transportation industry that are very really super interesting from AI because it can anticipate and predict and uh, better than most human beings uh, could ever dream of. So I just got to play with AI at our last conference in that Nashville mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, Robin, I never forget, she put out some words and she did a Bach transportation one and wrote a letter that was so superb. And I'm like, where is this back in school? We had two reports. I mean, all the different things you could whip it out. I mean, it whipped out words I wouldn't even know to say or put it into that sentence. It was it was amazing. It's, it's unbelievable. It's going to change a lot of things, but uh, we won't really know it for a few more years here. What Some keys to success, uh, just looking back, sort of some of the things you guys did that maybe move, move the needle uh, way more than other things or things that you guys implemented that helped to uh, to spur other things that, that, that kind of helped you get to where you are today success-wise, just for people listening that are maybe looking um, you know, for some inspiration or something that really, um, you know, they can implement in their business potentially. Is there anything you could think of that uh, I know I'm putting on the spot here, but that, that, that may, you know, may, may be a key to your success or, or maybe some small things that, that people can think about doing that would, uh, would help them. No, I was taking care of the client or your friends or your, they became friends. They became colleagues. They became their relationship driven. I mean, I, our business is so relationship driven. We meet with our vendors. We talk with them. We, we sit down at the table with them, ask what's going on. Um, you know, I, I think that's a huge part of our success is we listen and, and we're not sending our general managers out there. We're not sending our, our, um, our supervisors out there. I go sit at the table with them. Charlie's going to be there. I, I was there. I mean, and I, and, and I'm, I'm there less now because we have more of a management team that's there. So you can only, your span of control can be only so big by yourself with my Athena and myself doing it all. Yeah. It's but, crazy that you used to talk about it. Cause I think about this a lot. And at the end of the day, no matter what business you're in, you're almost always people creating things for other people that are helping other people. It's just all a, a big circle of people helping each other. And so by, uh, by having that relationship thing, uh, you know, in your mind and knowing that that is what helps drive business, just listening to people, acknowledging what they say and, and creating uh, a system or a process that helps them develop, you know, or, or achieve what they're trying to, to achieve. That's, that's something that's super important and close to my heart. I think it's, uh, people is, is it gets overlooked a lot. People think that technical skills or some, some skill they have in some realm or knowledge they have is going to beat out soft skills that, that allow you to connect with people. And I think you pointed at it and that's, that's my key to success as well. If I could give people advice, it's like, stop worrying about, you know, the technical stuff as much as just getting to know people and developing those relationships. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're a, um, 
well, let's say we're a dying breed, but we're more of that breed that our our group of people and our ages and the ones before us and after us and before, you know, they love to have that hands on. I still get calls from my clients from 20 years ago that says, Hey, Charlie, I need a limo. Hey, Charlie, I need a limo. And I, I, for me to type up a limo contract would just be horrendous. I would make so many mistakes. And so I'm like, oh, okay, what do you need? And I'll talk to him. And I said, Hey, I'm gonna have Sarah call you right away. I'm going to have Mike call you. I'm gonna have one of my people call you and just get to take care of it. Because if you want me to put this on the computer, it's going to be all screwed up. I'm not going to pick it the right place. I apologize. I'm not that person, but I still get those people call me today. I still get calls for requests for me to drive. I still have clients that still say, Charlie, I need you to drive tonight. I'm like, I've seen you driving before. I've seen you drive and not so much this year as much as in the past, but last year was huge. And last year we had a huge growth. We were at 68% uh, growth last year, but um, yeah, I don't drive near as much anymore, but I I will. I I carry my badges, my IDs all with me to get into all the bases, to the airports, all that stuff. And, uh, I, I, I'm the first or last to go out, you know, no matter what it is, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. the airline diversions that we do for the airport. I mean, that's a huge part of what we do. We do 34 to 48 diversions there Any airline that comes down that has a mechanical or a medical that comes down that can't refly. We book all their hotel rooms. We book all their transportation. Oh, we you do the whole the thing food, soup to nuts. Everything. I mean, everything from they, the time they call us to land on the tarmac, we take care of all of it. You know, we yeah. Cause sometimes it. when I talk to you, you're like, I've been up since 3am, oh. you know, you're, you're doing it. You're grinding it. that's part of it. They know I'm going to show up on scene and they know I'm going to take care of it. And they know that that, that's going to be taken care of. And all those managers, all those people that run Alaska airlines, all the, all the soups have my phone number. All those people know they can call me anytime and I'm going to get to the bottom of whatever's going on. You said you guys saw 68% growth last year. Yeah. What, what drove that? What was it? No, there was a couple of big things. There was a couple of big contracts that came up last year. Um, we had a big contract with a, a COVID contract that nobody really wanted to take that was on there that we were asked to take on. It was um, uh, helping one of the uh, big tourism companies up here, taking care of their 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 people. I'm not going to mention yeah, 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 yeah. their COVID patients. Yeah, and it was it was everything from the point of time they got here to the time they went to their lodges, time they went everywhere else. And, and you know, they um, we teamed up with them and it was really big and it was a huge deal. It was four months. And then uh, we picked up another major contract. Uh, one of the bigger contractors here in town um, uh, for airlines called up and needed a new vendor. And uh, that was a very big contract. It was uh, an extra 125 trips a, a day. A day, a day, Holy and it was it was it was a massive thing, and it was a it was a four month vetting period to go through this and looking at our vehicles and our records and all their stuff, and it was there. And then when we took it on, it was like, you know, the untimeliness of thirty seconds was late. You know, it was just this whole thing, and then having. Um, most of our airlines stay at one hotel. They were staying at four different hotels. So having all it's this, all so we could have place. one captain that's over at the Hilton. We could have one that's at the Sheraton. We could have another captain, Captain Cook, and then one at the Marriott. And he had to have four separate vehicles picking all of them up because you can't have them because everybody had the same pickup time. So um, it was a huge change for us. And um, so I was like, why don't you guys just stay at one hotel? What, 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 what's the four hotels? But they had different agreements for different people that were at different hotels that were there. And they didn't put all their eggs in one basket. They had them all delivered. And they do a great job. But it was a huge undertaking for us to take that on. It was June 1st. And we wanted to start it out in April and May where we can get in a little lighter time, get a little bit more practice June 1st. We're, we're, we're full steam. And so we were, yeah. uh, that's the year I worked, you know, two and a half, three months straight, you know, we were working max hours every day, you know, just getting everything, just making sure the contract was good. So, uh, we also picked up another contract for another airline that was there doing their customs. So there, there's a lot of things that came open to us that were, um, that were big influencers. I mean, huge two, $3 million contracts. Unreal. Ones. Yeah. So it was huge. So how do you measure success? Like in your life, like I know, you know, you, you tremendously successful on, on paper for, you know, your, all your businesses and, uh, personally and, uh, 
yeah. And, and professionally you have, you know, all these employees who you're serving and, and taking care of and, and helping them have great livings. Like what, what, I guess, yeah. What, what is it? You know, I, we had a person came out the other day and said they bought their first house and they were so proud of it. And they bought their first car and they got their first loan payment. And, and it was their third year working for us and they were getting married and they had money to go do things. Hearing the success stories of our employees, I think are some of the huger ones. And I know it sounds like a feel good story, but when you have somebody says that they qualify for a house that they'd never be able to qualify for because the money they made from us and how they made more money every year and how they were able to qualify this, or they'd be able to go and buy their first car. Um, we have a lot of young people that work for us that work at the airport. So like our ambassadors, we have a lot of younger generation there. So to be able to steer them in the right direction of where work ethic is, I mean, to push somebody in a wheelchair is not a, uh, a position that's for everybody. It's not like flipping a burger or things like that. All those are all jobs everybody needs, but you have to have some com kind, some compassion to, to be able to with working with people with special needs that, yeah. need it, that maybe not be able to walk or they have a speech impediment or they have something there. This is a chance for them to learn how to work with people that or uh, that need help with services. And you can't, you can't teach, you, you can't um, you quantify that, I guess, yeah. into a way, because when they, when, at the end of the day, they feel good about what they did in their job and they help somebody. Yeah. You when, can't pay people to feel that way. No, you can't pay them a bunch of money to feel that way. That's a, that's a purpose driven position and yeah. job. And, and you get purpose. It sounds like, if, or you feel successful when people feel that purpose. When they feel that purpose, they, they're, they're proud to work their uniform. Yeah. They, they like their job. They put in their posting, just got a job at Box Transportation. You know, yeah. those are things that you feel good about. Those are things that you, uh, you measure your success for. I mean, money and wealth and things like that all come with that stuff. And that's all, yeah. that's all nice stuff. Don't get me wrong. It's nice to have lake houses. It's nice to have other things out there too. But when you see your employees proud of where they work at and they talk about it and they bring their family members to come work for us, you know, we have, uh, if we have a nepotism rule, we'd be in trouble. I mean, we have some employees that have five different employees that, that their family members work for us. And some have big families and some of them, it goes all the way from detailers to mechanics, to drivers, to people in our dispatch and our CSAs. Just a testament to how great a place it is to work if they want their family members to work there, right? Yeah. You know, and it, it uh, it's again, my wife and our team and Amy Hawkinson, you know, Amy is our uh, HR director. She, um, she puts a lot of time and effort in that thing. And she really turned a lot of things around. Christina was our HR person before that. She was great too. She was with us from the very beginning where we started getting audits from DOT. I mean, all these different people were key people. Dan Hamilton was a mechanic for us for eight years. He was one of the best mechanics we ever had. And now we have Sean, we have Mike, uh, and we have uh, Bill. So we have three different other mechanics who are just taking it to the next step. So you see all these different people taking it to the next level. Um, our EMS person, Pat Vincent, she's our EMS coordinator. She teaches all EMT one, two, three, and paramedic courses. She's amazing. She was with AFD for 18 years. She taught all their paramedics and kept them all in licenses. Mike Crotty came over from Acres Fire Department. He was a, a battalion chief. You know, he was with them for 27 years. Um, he just currently left us and went over to Matsu and he's now the director of EMS for all Matsu. And so he's running all the ambulance companies and everything out there. So having these relationship with these guys, I can call any one of them at any time and ask them what we can do and how we can better things and, and work it. Uh, the same thing we do with uh, the deputy chiefs and the chiefs here. I mean, I, I talked to, I've talked to our chief Shragi here before. I can call the mayor and talk to him. I can talk to all these people and I'm not looking anything for them. I'm, I'm looking, how can we help and serve these people and do things for it? That was a success. Stories. That's great. You have to have all these numbers at, 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 the, at, the, at your fingertips. And I tell you one of the biggest things my wife says that I do is hook other people with other people all the time. I, mean, I get called for everything from tree stump removal all the way to where do I get my car fixed? I mean, and be able to have that person because we deal with all these different things. So we have a person we can connect people with. Yeah. Well, you've helped me in my business tremendously. So oh, I can attest to that as well. Us too. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, we're getting uh, getting to the end here. Uh, this went a lot faster than I thought. We're about an hour five into. It. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, what's uh, last question? I think you know we'll wrap it up here. But I, I really want to know what's next for Charlie Grimm and uh, in your businesses. You, know, you never know. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. So, you know, um, one thing that we started looking to is, is investing in properties. So now we're buying SDRs, we're buying uh, rental houses and houses and remodeling and, and getting into the real estate. You know, um, there is a difference between having money and wealth. And, uh, you know, I, I think the money is a great thing to have, but it doesn't really do a lot of good in their bank account. So we're trying to gain wealth now. We're trying to gain uh, properties and investments. And, and what's that look like for retirement? You know, down the line, having those things generate income for you and pass there. So um, we just had another business opportunity dropped in our lap next. We're going to talk with somebody next week about some of the things that are going to go on. There's another business opportunity. Somebody's looking for a partner into it. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, there's always opportunities. Can't talk about it now though. No, no, I'll, no. I'll ask you later at, off yeah, air. Yeah. <laughs> so there's always, there's always different opportunities to go there, but you know, um, the one thing I can tell everybody that you can't buy is time. So the one thing you can't buy tech is time with your kids. And I think some of our kids have gotten some of the short end of the stick of it because we were building our business so much more. So now we're trying to take more time off. We're going to, um, uh, this September, we're going to take uh, about five weeks off and go with our kids and we're going to go through a motorhome trip and we bought a motorhome. We're going to go through World 48. Yeah. I was going to say, you guys have like this, you know, work-life balance. I hate the, that whole term because I think the people who have figured it out, have figured out how to integrate their work and life and they make it all kind of work together. And I feel like you guys, you and Athena have done a really good job of that. And you kind of have one speed, I think you're on or off. And and I think, you know, when you're on, you're, you're always working. I feel like in a way you just are, you're, you're always, you know, ready to talk about your business. You're always ready to, to, to negotiate with people. You're a great negotiator. You're, you're an unbelievable, um, you know, personality that people love to talk to. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's something that I really, um, enjoy about you. Uh, but yeah, this work-life balance thing, it's, it's like you guys bring your kids to work. They, 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 they are part of your business as well. It's not like you guys just send them to some private school. Like they're at the school of Charlie Grimm, uh, and Bach transportation. And I think that's more the Athena Grimm school. Athena Grimm. Yeah. Yeah, school. But um, I see them at at work when I go there. So Audra, she works for us. She works for us part time. Yeah. Your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Our son used to, but he's kind of a little entrepreneur. He's He's got his own business. And his, his, uh, his, uh, Pokemon cards, which it just drives me nuts sometimes. <laughs> like yesterday, we had to turn around and go as we're going to the lake. I forgot we were supposed to go to Cars and Huffman to go sell a card. So we got all the way down to Tudor and had to turn around and go back. And oh, I'm thinking God. he's selling like a seventy or hundred dollar card. And he's like, "Oh, he's like, you got change for a twenty? I'm like, "Oh no, I don't really." And he's like, "Well, the card's only fifteen dollars." I'm like, "We came here for fifteen dollars. We took a half an hour for a dime, you know." But to him, it's the world. Um, and so I, I have to understand that in his perspective. So I want him to be successful too. But and it's not about the money, like you said before. It's more about the experience of like, "Hey, this is I'm selling this. I got to meet this him. guy." And it's like he here's has appointments. He has times, he's got a time. This is is a part of being a business. This is guy. his business guy at yeah. fourteen, at fourteen mm-hmm. years old. Yeah, I mean, he's he amazing. A, he has a Funko Pop store at main event. Kate, Kate I don't even Bill. know what you're saying right now. Uh, Funko, he, Funko Pop. Funko Pop. I don't it, still it's don't like know. bobbleheads. It's like this. If you look at Funko Pops in your phone, okay. these are huge. I mean, there's massive stores and they sell. And, and oh, there's wow. grown adults come to meet my son to buy these Funko Pops or these Pokemon cards or these things. And I'm looking at these people. And I'm thinking, this guy's working at BP. Or yeah. he's working at Conoco and he's over here and he's got a Conoco bag. And he's buying a, a, a Pokemon card for my son. You know, I'm thinking... <laughs> What is going on here? What do I not know about these things? Should I be investing in these things? I mean, I remember Athena gave away Orion's uh, uh, Pokemon cards. He must have had like 
a whole box of them because in the day he would just buy them and look at them and, and he grew up and he gave them away and that Ryan's probably like, worth millions of dollars. Oh, Ryan's like, you owe me so much money, mom. You gave these things away and they, they were just such a prize and I had no idea what these things would be worth. So when you, when you try to work that balanced life up, it's really tough. When you're growing your business, it's tough. Um, it, it is, uh, you're so consumed because you're trying to get that next level, that next level. And so you have to take it in stages and you have to realize the one thing, again, I can't say enough is you can't buy time back. You can't buy, you can't get their second grade back. You can't get their fifth grade back. You can't get their 13 year old birthday party back. Everything else seems more important than what you're doing sometimes. And sometimes you have to really worry what is important, what's not. And so when you can figure that out, you've done really well. And the other side is if you love your job, you're not going to work. You're just doing what you do. And I, I really love BAC when AMT does. I like them both. Don't get me wrong. I get tired sometimes because it, it, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It never shuts down. We never have a day that we're off. There's never one day. Yeah. That's what I love about you is like, you don't get a different Charlie Grimm. Like you don't change you know, from personal stuff to work stuff, you're just, you're who you are. You're super authentic. And I, I love you for that. Um, how much of your success do you think, this is the very last question, I promise. Sure. How much of your success would you attribute to uh, luck? Uh, and how much would you attribute to uh, just hard work, grit, determination, and keeping your eye on the prize, maybe percentage wise, or, you know, because COVID for you was kind of a, a, a lucky deal, not for a lot of people, I hate to say that, but you know, that kind of, uh, you know, put you in, like took a new business that you were starting that was right where you needed to be when you needed to be there uh, for COVID and be able you know, to start that, that medical transportation business it was an unbelievable timing in my book uh, that you could have never predicted. So what do you think, uh, if you could break it down? I mean, I, you know, luck is my wife. You asked her this question, you're going to get hammered. So she I, I am going to ask her this. Yeah. She was going to say, there's no luck in this. There's opportunities. And you have to look at the opportunities that are put in front of you. And, and, and she is right on this. We, we were into this thing knowing that we we're going to be in here. It was going to be a slow go. It did move a little faster because of COVID, but we took the opportunities and took the chances where some people weren't. And um, that's not to say I'm arrogant or anything like that. There's always an opportunity for somewhere. There's always an opportunity to help the next person down the street when you don't really need to. Um, we saw an opportunity that was in there and there wasn't a lot of people jumping on it. And we really, we, we were panicking at first. I'm not going to tell you, we were sat down with, uh, Jeff Reed was our operations manager at the time. And when COVID happened, we were looking at what payroll was and we were averaging 225,000, 250,000 every two weeks in payroll. How'd this look? How much money do we have in reverse? How are we going to treat our employees? We had the person that just bought houses. We had the person that just bought cars. What's their livelihood look like? And we're like, okay, we're gonna have to cut back. We're gonna have to cut wages. We're gonna have to do this. Overtime's gonna go away. All this other stuff. And we had to freeze because even our vendors were doing the same thing. Like the wheelchair contract. I mean, they were, there was nobody flying. So there was no wheelchairs to push. Well, they we were like, paid cut, monthly. Cut, cut, cut. So they were like, hey, we're gonna give you guys two or three weeks notice. We can't use you guys anymore anymore. Like that. I'm like, well, hey, how can we rework this? You know, I don't want to end our contract because we know this is gonna end someday. So yeah. what are we gonna do? So we we gave them back the contracts, the, the wheelchairs for $1. We lend them our $40,000 of the wheelchairs for a dollar a day. I mean, a dollar, a dollar a month and said, here, if you're going to continue it, we want to have these back at the end of it. And when this comes back up, we want this contract still because this is something viable. So we worked with them. So when I say this all, um, there was ways that we could have went to the blue door or the red door. I always think that the matrix, the, yeah, the red yeah. pill or the red blue pill. pill. Blue yeah. Pill. yeah. And I, and we, we, we really went to the red pill immediately, like code red, code red. And then when we looked at it, it said, wait, stop. Let's rethink this. We're not going to make any haste decisions. Let's sit on this and think about it. And then we looked at the opportunities that were in there. And 
when we looked at it and, and Athena and I both have a fire and EMS background and we looked at what the fire department was doing and how they were reacting to things. And of course I had people in my academy and different people that I knew, the chiefs, I was calling them, what are you guys doing to prepare yourself for this? Oh, we're buying these pappers. Where are you buying these pappers? Alaska safety. Why well, work with Alaska safety? How much are these pappers? They're 1800 bucks a piece, Charlie. Okay. I'll take 10 of them. We need to be able to protect our people. So if we're going to do crew, we're going to take these people. I'm in a papper. I'm driving an ambulance, driving a papper. So What's a papper? A papper is the... a uh, self-contained breathing apparatus, but it's a, it's a basically a filter system that goes yeah. inside there. So it, it it takes all the elements that we were looking for that yeah. we thought were there at the time, and it's it's a, a positive pressure. So you're always having Got positive it. pressure. There's nothing that's going to suck in. It always sucks out. So you always have this positive pressure going to your face, and when you're blowing out, you're blowing in. So there's nothing you're sucking in any kind of droplets or anything else like that. So we were looking at all this stuff and seeing how can we change this, which turned into 20 pappers we ended up with, you know, so we have all these pappers now and now we have no pandemic. So we're not using them very often, but it's so funny. We still have them on our ambulance because if we do have a really bad patient, we know that we can down these, we can put them on and know what we're going to be a little bit more safer in those. So um, when you say luck, I, yeah, you, some people call it luck and some people do, you were super lucky that this all happened when it is. I think everything's purpose driven. I think that, you know, um, we have a higher being up above God and, and God knows what's going to happen and what's going on where we're here. And he puts the right people at the right job sometimes. And I think that we were at the right position at the right time yep. and we were able to execute on it. And I, I think that is the more of the message I want to tell people is that it is sometimes luck is not what you're is. It, 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 you can be lucky to get hit by a train. But you know, you can be lucky by that. That you can be lucky to even fall down off the off the off a uh, off a cliff. But yeah. or lucky you didn't choke on that steak. Amen. <laughs> but you know, you're luckily that they're the guy next to you was a paramedic and he did the Heimlich maneuver yeah. on you. I mean, there's all these things, or there was a purpose driven behind purpose. what you were supposed to do. I like that. So I I I look at that part and. I, sometimes I argue with my wife about luck and stuff. I'm like, God, that we were so lucky. She's like, we're not lucky. We're opportunists. We, yeah. we look for opportunities in it. And she's right. I mean, um, we just purchased a house from a person that had to pass away. And this whole thing came up and we were buying a trailer. And then we asked them about the house for sale. You know, what are you going to do with the house? And then we found out the house is for sale. And we're like, we'd like to be first ones to bid on it. And then all of a sudden, this whole thing came in our lap and we ended up buying the house three weeks later. Yeah. Is that luck or is, is that just opportunity? opportunity? Yeah. We looked at it yeah. and said, hey, you're selling the trade or you're selling the boat. What else is going? You're putting the vibe out there, in other words, in so, the universe and it's coming back to you yeah, so you 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 if you my wife and another one she always says you can't make withdrawals until you make the deposits so if you want to say another thing that's really good is you can't go to people and ask for a bunch of things before you put deposits in yeah. and if, when you put deposits in you're more than welcome to try to deposit get some of that money out of it or you can get some of those favors out of it that's great advice i and like that yeah you got to put deposits before you make withdrawals and so we put a lot of deposits in the community we put a lot of things and we get a lot of withdrawals from the community we get a lot of things from it so if you're relationship driven and you're doing these things and those are things are hard to teach people but treat people with respect nice treat them with their if you're, you're going to say you're going to do something do it you know do it to the best of your ability if you can't do it explain why you can't and apologize and make it right charlie you're unbelievable yeah well <laughs> this is something i can talk about this is yeah. something i feel comfortable about and if you were this asking is, me about all the it this, stuff i'd be like okay yeah. well let's let's get on your phone and call for a lifeline let's call athena let's ask her about this yeah i don't know <laughs> we're gonna have athena this. on later uh, good for you, you yeah we're gonna have her on that'll later. be a whole different conversation yeah, yeah. no it's gonna be good because yeah. she'll be able to uh yeah give us another another angle from your guys's 100%. point of view uh, but as always, Charlie, it's, it's so good to talk to you, man. You're good. such a great human being. Probably what you guys and, are doing in your business. Well, yeah. Thank thanks you. for having me on. Yeah, you bet, man. Um, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks.